All right, so we're in Galatians 3. So a couple questions for you. Uh, I hope to tie this in at some point. Um, so how many, of you, <clears throat> how many of you can draw a straight line without a ruler? She can. What? <laughs> Nobody? Nobody's like... I've seen, I've seen those people out there. All right. Can anyone draw... Uh, you know, this seems like... I feel like the straight line's like a, a... You know, I feel like there's probably half of you can. So... We'll say yes. If you got a line, you a steady hand. So... All right. What about a, what about a circle without a, a compass? Have you ever seen that? There's actually like a speed circle. Um... Oh, really? <laughs> I've seen that. When I used to do math, you know, I would, there, yeah, there were YouTube videos and they, people would like rock their hand with a marker and then they would like, do a circle and then they like see how perfect the circle is. And how... Anyway, so I guess it's something. So, um, all right, how about this? How many of you can navigate to a location that you've never been to Without a map, GPS. You, you can do that. So, you got that skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, I didn't think that one fully through. All right, how, how, how about how about how about this? Now that with GPS, how many of you can navigate to like? <laughs> today we dropped our our daughter off and. Uh, it was like, I've been to this house, but I always pass the neighborhood. So um, anyway, how many, you guys can, how, about, how many of you guys can go to a location you've been to before, but maybe is not a routine location, is that better, without a map? All right, all right, better, more hands, more hands. Okay, so Sarah, did you raise your hand? You're pretty good with that, all right, so. Um, okay, I don't know what else I got. There was one other one that I was thinking of. So... Um, Anyway, all right. Uh, similarly noted, how many of you like to like to um, have a your day be ordered and routine, or how many of you like spontaneous? So let's like let's let's think about it this way. How many of you for your you know your your day job, whatever that looks like, likes to have it like routine, like kind of like similar expectations? versus how many of you like constant change and variety in your day-to-day? Okay, so, um, so, <clears throat> all right, so Lord, the, Lord has made us, the Lord has made us different, and I know the way that I kind of phrased my question could be, could be looked at. So we're going to get to kind of these two ideas, you know, t- two thoughts as far as like the first one, right, is how many of you use like, oh, I know what the other one was, how many of you can pay uh, I was thinking on the, some of these uh, on the way here. Um, how many of you can calculate tip for dinner without a calculator? So, all right. So, you've got you've got your aids. <laughs> you might just be like, I just over tip. I over tip. I don't know. I just <laughs> yeah. So I'm generous, right? So you know. Anyway, um, okay. So we'll get, we'll get to kind of a couple of these ideas um, with, uh, one, where the law fits in within our lives, and then two, um, you know, why we uh, tend to gravitate towards the law or works um, as 
human beings. So you kind of have some of those things as prompts in the back of your mind. All right, so we started Galatians 3 last week. I'm calling it, you got to have faith. Um, and so, right, laws are given. Paul, you know, kind of went through this and, and is making the case again to the Galatians as they are, you know, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, right? They're, they're starting to, he says, we preach the gospel to you, but you're starting to kind of drift and you're trying to adopt certain things that I didn't teach you through the gospel. And specifically, we're seeing this idea about where the law fits in and it's come in historically in different times. We talked about that last week. Um, and so even while that was the problem back in Paul's day, and even before that, before he went to Galatia, this issue was dealt with when he was in Antioch. Um, but it keeps popping up, and we see it even pop up within our lives, even as believers today, right? Because the laws are helpful for us in order to know how to behave properly, but the problem is it always ends in failure, right? That's, that's what Paul says, because we can't do it fully. So thankfully, God has given us his spirit that we can um, access through faith in Christ to help us to be more obedient and be more like Christ. And so Paul kind of leveraged the, um, the verse, right, that the righteous shall live by faith. And so I want us to, to kind of go into that a little bit more as we kind of think about that, but maybe we'll, we'll get that towards the end. So let's just read verses 10 through 14 and just to kind of get us into the, into the passage. So Galatians 3, verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And we looked at it last week, you know, several passages, um, and we'll look at a couple more, uh, just to kind of, again, you know, remind us of this promise that the Jews would rely on this being rely on on being sons of Abraham as justification for some of the things that they did and even when Jesus was trying to talk tell them that in Christ that they would be free you know they were like we're sons of Abraham we're we're already free and uh which again we talked about the irony of that was they were under Roman occupation um but that was something that they continue like went to is like we don't have to do that or we don't have to you know we are Blessed because we are the sons of Abraham, and so we had to look. We looked at the Abrahamic covenant um, to kind of see where that fit in, especially as Paul is going to that argument to talk about the difference between law and faith, and the fact that Abraham in the covenant was considered righteous because he believed God, and that came years before the law was given to Moses, and even before Abraham was circumcised. Um, as a sign of that covenant promise. So verse 15, we read, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. 
and to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, longer, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, so you're kind of like picking up, again, this idea of when people just make the justification that they are sons of Abraham by um, their birthright. You know, Paul is kind of expanding that and saying, is that really like what God intended when he even gave the promise um, at all? So Paul says, you know, um, no one annuls, that, that word means to reject or really just kind of set aside, but, you know, to kind of disregard. Um, or, he says, no one annuls it or adds to this man-made covenant once it has been ratified or once it has been confirmed or established. So, uh, when you think about that, when is a contract negotiated? Before the transaction. Okay. So, and that's what kind of Paul is saying is that once, you know, there is kind of some back and forth um, between two parties as far as like what, uh, you know, what is going to be legally obligated. But once it, both parties have come to terms and feel settled on it, and once that this covenant or contract has been ratified, right, then if you set it aside or you want to add to it, um, ignore it, uh, take away from it, what ends up being the consequence? Even, like from a, even from when you think of a contract side, what happens when, when we do that? What's that? Well, I mean, but what happens if somebody says, if I say, well, I'm just not going to pay anymore. I don't feel like paying. <laughs> I know I'm obligated to pay, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, so you breach the contract, you might go to court. What else I hear? You're obligated, right? There's going to be some sort of consequence. And that comes usually within the agreement, right? That uh, like within, well, what if I don't do this? Then there is some sort of agreement. And so Paul says just kind of generally, right, that this doesn't happen um, when you have a contract. And so, you know, in terms of covenants, you know, why won't God ever change his covenants? Okay, so one, I hear he doesn't change, right? That's a, it's kind of, Scripture says God does not change. You know, why does God not change? One, it's because he doesn't change. But I heard somebody in the back say, his it's, his, exactly, right? So it's based on his character. And part of his character, right, if his character changed, uh, then God would not be God. He would be less than. And so that's just a part of who he is. So when he makes a covenant, so thankful, right, for us, you know, that's one thing that we can just, you know, say that God is God because of his character and who he is, that the promises made to us that even our faith in Jesus Christ never changes. Uh, not, you know, again, we die, stand before judgment, and God's like, well, you know, I've been thinking. Ever since the Bible was written, you know, I've evolved, right, in my thinking. You know, so we're thankful that that, that hasn't happened, right, because God is fully, right, He. There is no change in God. And so for his covenants, right, that, that a good God, right, is a part of who he is. So he doesn't change the terms of the covenant. So the covenant made to Abraham is still valid. When later a covenant was made to David, it's still valid. Even when we talk about the new covenant, right, 
All of these things are still valid. And then the question becomes like, well, valid for whom? And, you know, how does it apply? We won't get to all of that. We've kind of talked in different passages, different places about how that looks and what that looks like. But Paul is, again, just establishing that idea just because there's a law, this kind of new contract that I have that's based on obedience and works, doesn't mean that the promises made to Abraham and the way that Abraham was able to fulfill his part of the bargain, but we'll talk about that in just a second, is, um, is null and void. It's not, you know, set aside or rejected. If there were, there would be a consequence. And so Paul then goes to kind of like some grammar, and um, he looks at the word offspring. And so the word for offspring in Hebrew and Greek and even for English can refer to either a group of people, and you know, Tim and I are actually talking about that, right? Is, the, is, is people singular or plural? That word, people. What's that? Someone taught you well. It's one group, right? It's a group of, of, you know, but of, of many. Do you have one people? Are you a people or are you a people? You know, so anyway, so it's like, yeah, it's both and, right? So um, anyway. So sim- similar with the term offspring, um, it's like that. Now, Paul then, he points out that in this case, it's to be understood as singular. So it can be offspring could be singular. My offspring could be if I had one child, my offspring could be the one child. If I had many children, my offspring could be many children. So it actually can be applied in either sense. Now, Paul says here that it is singular. Why do you think he's making that case? I've studied this a little bit more, so it's kind of, you know, I know the answer. But I'm, I'm just going to think about it. What would you say? Because we're people. Because we're people. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and, and the question, though, then is like, so why bring it up? Well, it depends on, you know, when we looked at several of the passages, when um, Abraham was given the covenant, he was given the covenant like kind of in multiple like retellings, right? And we looked at the first one in Genesis 12. And then he kind of like, you know, sometimes, right, as God, you know, as Abraham is childless, then, and, it, and we looked specifically in Genesis 15 where he believed and it was counted to him as righteous, as righteousness, that he didn't have any children. And God said, go outside and you look at all the stars in the sky and that's how many children you're going to have. And Abraham said, I still believe. And so, so he kind of, kind of reiterated the covenant that he made in Genesis 12 multiple times. And sometimes he clarified or even like expanded that. And he uses a word in, in, not in Genesis 12, but later on in Genesis 15 and then in 17 and some other places, he uses the term offspring. And so going back to Genesis 12, right, there's three promises. And we looked, at, we, we looked at that passage way back when. Do you guys remember the three promises that were made to Abraham? One, the numerous of the stars refers to what? His descendants, right? And so when he says your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, is that one offspring or many offspring? In this case, it almost is kind of both, right? Your, your, your son Isaac will be as numerous as the stars. And so that promise is not only to Isaac and all of the ones, but then, you know, as he has kids, it went through Jacob it kind of expands. The next one was the land, right? And so your offspring will inherit the land. 
And so they will all inherit the land. That's kind of the idea with that. But then there's going to be, what was that third part? You guys remember the third part? Yeah, right. The blessing to all the families of the earth. And so through your offspring. And so then it becomes like, is that all offspring? Because he doesn't say offspring in Genesis 12. He says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But then in Genesis 17, 7, if we want to look there, or just listen, again, this is kind of almost the third time, you know, God is, you know, remember God has this relationship with Abraham, and Abraham messes up at times and is faithful at times, and so he continues to repeat certain things because he wants to make sure that Abraham knows, right, I'm doing something different with you, Abraham. I'm establishing my, my relationship with you through now your family. Because um, it hasn't been, hadn't been that up to that time, and we saw all the repercussions of that, including you know, flood, Tower of Babel, all of these things. So Genesis 17, 7, he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Okay, so that one right there, we see, you know, their God. So there indicates, I know we're getting grammar, plural or singular. Plural, right? Okay, so that's kind of specifically. And so this covenant will be passed, right, to multiple. Now, it could be through the fathers, but we don't have to get too far into that. But in other instances, if you flip to Genesis 22, this is right after, right? So then now, in Genesis 22, Abraham has been given a son, miraculously, right? His wife was past childbearing age, but has been given a son, Isaac. And then what did God tell him to do with his son? Sacrifice him, right? And so Abraham says, I'm going to be obedient to what you tell me to, God. And then he provided the ram in the thicket, and that was the sacrifice instead. And after that, this is what we read in Genesis 22:15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand and the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." Now, the question is, in your offspring, is that, that where all the nations of the earth will be blessed, is that singular or plural? And that's the question, right? But, remember if we go back to Genesis 3, that when, um, when God said that there will be enmity between, uh, you know, the offspring of, of Eve, right, and the serpent... There was this kind of singular battle between one, one person and another, this offspring. Um, he will strike the heel and, you know, the offspring will crush his head or bruise his head. And so here, Paul's kind of just saying, like, this offspring is to be understood as singular, that there will be a blessing. And the Jews would have known this because later on in Scripture, how do you understand, like, who are they waiting for? Like, who is their big, you know, per, you know the big person that they're waiting for to help them in their afflictions, right? The Messiah. And so the singular Messiah, the singular Christ, you know, 
Paul is saying is embedded back in some of these verses in this understanding. But the Jews would have looked at themselves as the sons of Abraham and been like, we're the sons of Abraham and might have confused those things and said, well, the nations of the world will be blessed through us and taken away that idea through Christ. And so that's kind of just where Paul is going, right? Because it's not Isaac that would receive, that would be the blessing, right? He was already, you know, this was given right after that. And even though, you know, after Isaac, uh, you know, Isaac was told that you're through your son Jacob and not through Esau, I'm going to establish a nation. And so does that mean that now Jacob is going to do that? Well, then we know that Jacob was told that in one of his sons, right, that there will be this line of Judah. Um, and so we can, we can kind of understand that it was neither through any of these sons, again, that something else, some other offspring would uh, fulfill this part of the covenant. And so Paul says that the law was given 430 years after Abraham. Um, and technically, you might ask the question, some of you might not. It's technically, between Abraham and when Moses came, it was more like 650 years. Um, but so how do, you, how do you remedy that? Well, the last time the covenant was affirmed and established was through Jacob. And by that time through when Moses came was 430 years. You have that time of, you know, over 400 years that they're in the land of Egypt. And so that's what Paul says, right? But he's making the point that it took hundred, it was hundreds of years later after the promise was made and reiterated and reiterated again, that the law came into place. Now for them, Jews so, um, established their lives off of the law that the law became you know, who they were and what they did. And when it then even came to like now the Christian aspect, right? The, the gospel part, the, the Jesus part, the Messiah part of living out your, your faith, right? That those hundreds of years since the Mosaic law had established in their minds that there are things that you just need to do in order to be faithful. And again, Paul's just, again, making this, you know, separating that establishment of the promise and making sure that that promise of this blessing for all nations, not just your nation, sons of Abraham, um, would happen through the offspring. And we'll kind of wrap this up a little bit later and tie these things together. But Paul kind of walks through that, right? And so he again reminds us that in verse 18 is that the law is based off of performance, right? You know, whether you do something or not do something, and if it's based on doing something, then it's not a promise, right? And sometimes you can establish a promise that way, right? I promise that if you clean your room, then I will take you out for ice cream. Yay! You know, did you clean your room? Yes. I guess I'm on the hook for ice cream. Otherwise, you're a bad father. Um, <laughs> that's always, that's why parents now always like, I don't know if about you guys, like, there's always so much gray area. Will you do this? I'm like, we'll see. I don't know, you know. And why is that? Because there's like one too many times that kids are like, you said. And I'm like, did I say that? I don't know. I always tell Yeah, I know. And so, <laughs> which drives them nuts, but like they want to hold us to this like standard. Like you said. I'm like, I don't think I said. I think we go to the playback. I said, we might. <laughs> we might. What's that? Exactly, exactly. So, but... 
The promise made to Abraham wasn't based on anything he did. God just said, you, I'm going to do this for you. And uh, we went to that a little bit more in depth when we looked at Genesis 12. But right, it's a one-sided contract that once it was ratified, then it was set. And so God was going to do this. It's almost like, would God have done this even if Abraham didn't believe? That's kind of almost a side thought that you could kind of think, what if Abraham didn't believe? It was like, there's no way that we're going to have a son. I mean, God still could provide a son, and then, you know, but he believed that before the son came. And because of that belief, that's where he established that righteousness, right? The righteousness wouldn't have been established by faith, even if God did what he was going to do. Anyway, that's a side thought, but uh, something I was just thinking about as we're looking at, right? So the covenant was one-sided. Abraham didn't have to do anything but believe, right? Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may what? Boast, right? No one may say, like, I did this. This is my faith. This is something that I've done. These people were boastful, right? And we looked at that, right? We're sons of Abraham. We're not enslaved to anyone. Sure you are. Um, And so that is where Paul wants to make sure that these Galatians, not under the law, but of faith, Remember what's important. So, we kind of pause on an earlier question, and Paul gets to that in verse 19. He says then, why then the law, right? Like, so if, like, law doesn't get you there, like, then what's the whole point of the law? Especially if we're supposed to live our lives by the law and commanded to uphold the law, right? The Jews were told that. So then why then the law? Paul says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Okay? So why would the law help? Um, because of transgressions. That, that idea, transgression, means to like step out of bounds. Um, it's actually, yeah, the word is step around. Or we can think of it like step you know, if you think of a sports analogy, stepping outside the lines, out of bounds, um, or walking outside of the pathway or boundary. So why would the law help us with that? Help us with those transgressions? We wouldn't have known otherwise. We wouldn't have known otherwise. It's like... Right. It's like parents with their children. Like, eh, perhaps, eh, maybe, you know. Using your earlier analogy, there has to be a point where the contract is written. What's that? So using your earlier analogy, there has to be a point where the contract is explicitly written. Okay. In order for you to kind of understand that there's an agreement afoot, you know, and then that there are boundaries inside of that. Now, that doesn't, of course, address your ability to provide them inside of that contract. Yeah. To say, <laughs> right? You know, it's it's that's you know a great tie-in. My my daughter is you know helped coaching their basketball team, and there's just certain rules that they don't know about. Sometimes the refs like call them, and sometimes they don't. You're like, that was travel, and sometimes they say you were traveling. You're like, come on, they're learning. You know, sometimes they call it, sometimes they don't. You know, if they go out of bounds. You know, they usually call that one. Uh, you know, but you don't know, like especially in basketball, if you dribble past half court. And then you dribble back, you know, like that's, you, 
you have to give the ball back to the other team, right? That's over and back. And so it's like, I didn't know that. Well, sometimes kids learn that in the game. Like when they get called for it, then it's like, oh, I guess I can't do that. And so sometimes as coaches, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I should have gone over that. But there's only so much they can take, right? You're like, all right, there's offense, there's defense, you know. And so, um, but sometimes that's how you learn. And so there's an established, right, boundary. Um, and even between Abraham and Moses, you know, 650 years, right, did, did think, you know, God gave this covenant to Abraham. Do you think that the, he and all his sons um, did the right thing? No. Yeah, and there's plenty of examples that you're like, well, that's kind of wicked. Um, <laughs> and so between those years, right, they didn't. And a lot of those years they were under, you know, they were in Egypt, and then they became under the bondage of Egypt, and God was working his, you know, making them as numerous as the stars when they were in Egypt. So he was serving his plans and purposes and then preparing them a land that he would bring them into, a land that they didn't have to, like, even establish. It's like other people would establish like build houses there and farm land, and God would say, you know what, bring it into this promised land that's already got milk and honey that's ready for you. And so because it's the land that I had promised, these people are just tenants that I'm handing over to you. But when you get there, you got to know how to live. And so this is why I'm giving you the law. And we went, get, we went into detail when we looked at the, the Ten Commandments and the purpose of the law back at that time as well. <clears throat> Paul makes the same argument in Romans 4. He says, without the law, there is no sense of wrongdoing. So in Romans 4.13, again, using this idea of Abraham, because, you know, Paul's writing both these letters. So he says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be, um, he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So similar argument, right? For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, right? If it's just because you're sons of Abraham, then you just get it. That's not how God established things, right? It's through this promise. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression, right? If there are no boundaries, there's no stepping outside of the boundaries. So God is establishing these boundaries. Verse 16 of Romans 4, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, right? And to the Romans, as well as the Galatians with this mixed Gentile Jew group, right? He's making sure that they understand it's not just by doing the law, but by belief as well. Romans, though, didn't have this problem of being like swayed, at least we, not, not in the letter of, of our understanding, but the Galatians, he wants to hammer this home. And so he says the law, right, was temporary. And it took time, um, right, for the nation to be established. And it took time then for them to receive the land. And it would even take time for the blessing through this one offspring to happen. Right? It didn't all happen at the same time. It was kind of in God's plan and God's order um, that the blessing would come. And that the law would be in place until the offspring would come, right? About whom the promise was made, right? To the sons of Abraham and all the families of the world. <clears throat> and there's a few things that Paul says that, you know, then it was put in place by angels. Um, that's one of those things that there's debate over, like, what that means. Um, and, 
was, you know, we don't see necessarily anything. There's parts where like the angel of the Lord kind of established certain things or maybe on Mount Sinai, you know, did God directly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, a couple places in scripture in, in Acts 7, Stephen refers to angels giving the law and then Hebrews um, says something similar. And so we just have to kind of take that out of out of faith. Um, and this idea that when this, you know, the angels are acting as an intermediary between two parties with the law, with Abraham, God directly told Abraham. And again, we said it was a one-sided covenant. That's just kind of what Paul is saying, that they're different. The way that it was established and the way that it was given was different. So verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God, right? If they are different, are they at odds with one another? Because you've got faith, you've got law. Are they separate? Are they, you know, yin and yang? Are they black and white? Is they, are they negate one another? Are they opposite of one another? And Paul says, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So, um, right. So while, you know, Paul wants again, make a, a big deal about making sure that, that he, that we understand that the law and the promises of the covenant are different. And while they're not the same, again, they're not at odds. The law though is deficient. It can't do what the promise can do. What's one thing that it can never do. What does he say? Can't save us, right? You know, verse 21 that it can't give us righteousness. Why can't it give us righteousness? Right? The idea would be that we are saving ourselves by our own works. And the only way to do that, and we've talked about that, would be what? <clears throat> to be perfect, right? To do it in total, in all. But as soon as we fail in one point, then we didn't do that, right? You know, if I said clean your room, like, you know... There's, there's clothes on the floor. That's not clean, you know. And so if you fail in that, I'm not obligated to give you ice cream, right? <laughs> but that's not, you know, that's how like God was saying, like, right, if you do these things, you will be blessed. God said that specifically. If you don't do these things, you'll be cursed. And we saw just not doing one thing, curse is going to happen. And so you would not be righteous. And then, um, you know, so Paul says that the law, or he really says the scripture, that contain, and the idea is that the scripture that contains the law, um, what does he say that that does to each person in verse 22? So he says the scripture, and the understanding is the law that scripture is talking about. What does that do to each person? Okay. So what, what, do, other, do other, what other versions say? Confines, okay. Some imprison, okay. Yeah, and so that that idea that that you know we are trapped or confined, we can't get out because of the law. That's how we are described, right? Imprisons everything under sin, but that's what its purpose was to do, right? And that purpose was to establish over years 
of living out the law, what would be the only conclusion that the Jews would say about them being able to fulfill the law? They can't, right? And one of the things you kind of you talk about, and we've talked about it in different places, Paul doesn't go there, is sometimes the idea of like the sacrifices, right? It took numerous sacrifices. The whole point of the sacrificial system was like, you know, you have to do, you know, you have to sacrifice an animal or give an offering. And it was continual, you know, going to God and saying, I messed up. Year, you know, month after month, year after year, over entire lifetimes, over entire generations, for hundreds of years, it was established. You can't live by the law. And so that's why they looked for a Messiah. And many looked for a Messiah to, like, help them with their oppression. But God was, like, sending a Messiah for more than that, right? And hopefully they would understand that the burden of the law of trying to fulfill that, that it was in God's timing that he finally brought that offspring there. But that was the purpose of the law was to imprison everybody, to trap everybody, to feel like I can't do this. And that's why it was established. But this hopelessness would give way to hope through the offspring, through Jesus Christ, right? And it, our way out of that hopelessness is yes, through Jesus Christ, but specifically what's our role with Jesus Christ especially how Paul says it, right, is to have faith to believe that his righteousness takes place of our unrighteousness. <clears throat> and who has faith? Paul says it's those who believe. Going to verse 23, he says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So, what role is the law according to Paul in verse 24? Okay. So, what does is, what is your translation say? Okay, a tutor to lead us, all right? I, uh, I said the ESV says guardian. What else do we have? I don't remember if it's the New King James or King James is like the schoolmaster, if you might have heard that. Um, so how are they? It's, it's, the, the word is a, a form that has the word child and something that is to like guide or lead. So to guide or lead a child is that word that he's talking about. And the law was that for us, right? It's, it's our guide. Um, we were not free. We were held in check, right? If you think uh, like a child is not free to do whatever he wants, the tutor or the schoolmaster or the guide for the child, the guardian, is the one who dictates what that child can and can't do. 
it's not time for free time yet. You know, we still have work to do. And so that is what the law is establishing, those boundaries, those guardrails. And so we were imprisoned under this guardian. So the imprisoned part has that kind of negative connotation, but it was imprisoned really for our good to try to be trained up to understand, again, right, what God desires for us to do. But we know that in the end that it is deficient, right? And so that is what was happening. He says, but Paul describes how the family of the world would be blessed. In verse 24, he says that by faith in Christ, we are justified. So what does that idea about being justified mean? Yeah, to be, to be declared righteous. So that whole idea about the righteous shall live by faith or that faith was accounted, uh, uh, righteousness was accounted to Abraham because of his faith, that through faith in, in Jesus Christ is a legal declaration that we are righteous, that we are made righteous. Do you something to add to that? Even beyond that, and we all yeah. understand that we're being saved from God, saved from his wrath, saved from his condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where the law, right? Going back to Romans is that the law shows us God's wrath for otherwise it's clear of what God's standard is or not. Um, because where there is no law, there is no transgression. So when there is law, we understand there is transgression and we do transgress. It's not just sin, but there's also wrath that comes along with it and judgment for that. And so, so just as Abraham was declared righteous by faith, so are we. Secondly, in verse 25, he says that by faith in Christ, we are sons of God. Again, that opening up beyond the sons of Abraham are more than the sons of Abraham who are following what, you know, the lineage of Abraham as well as faith. It is only through faith and that goes beyond just those that um, are by birthright. And so Paul says we'll receive an inheritance. We've looked at that in, in other lessons, right? But the idea is that, again, beyond just even justification, to be made right, right, to not receive God's wrath is amazing in itself. But beyond that, we become heirs, heirs of the promise, right? And it is by grace that this happens, and it is a gift that it happens otherwise, right? We looked at it would be our boasting if it wasn't that way. So we started Galatians 3, you know, where, where Paul says, how can you be fooled or how can you be, you know, bewitched um, into thinking, right? What you, you need to do is some way that you need to be accepted by God, right? We understand that that thinking is limiting, Right? So he's almost saying, like, if you think that what the Jews practice is better, if a Jew says, you know, yeah, you have faith in Christ, but you also need to do these dietary laws, and, you know, that just makes you a better Jew. It's like fulfilling the law and having faith in Christ. And so Paul's saying, like, don't come under that trap, right? Or even looking at some other religion and saying, like, you know, they're nice people. Like, they're really nice. Um, they're even nicer than some of the people I go to church with, right? You know, and so think like, well, you know, those are things that, that 
might seem good on the surface, right? But again, that's just, again, falling into a trap un- under the, the, um, the imprisonment of the law that says we've got to do something in order to be better, all right, Paul says, those who've been baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. Now, you are clothed in Christ's likeness. I mean, just if we think about that and let that kind of settle in, you know, like all of these implications are just something that like we should embrace in our obedience to Christ. And then he kind of f- finishes up and he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. What's that kind of contrast? Remember 1 Corinthians, you know, he says like the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks demand wisdom. Um, and so the Jews and the Greeks were probably like, you know, they're philosophically of the big dominant cultures. Like, are you a better Jew? Or are you better Greek? And some try to like assimilate both of those things in there. And he says like, that's done away with, right? There is no Jew. There is no Greek. You are in Christ. And he says, you're neither slave nor free, Right. That pretty much puts you in one of two categories. I mean, the slaves knew there were slaves. Maybe they hoped to be out of slavery at some point, hoped to be free. Um, but that wasn't anything of their own doing. And those that were free could boast in their, you know, in their freeness, right? It's kind of their status as a citizen. <clears throat> and he says, that has gone away with two. In reality, what's our, what's our status in Christ? Paul always kind of mentioned that, that he is what? Well, yeah, he's the bondservant or the slave of Christ. And so there is no slave nor free, you know, and there's, there's other, you know, <clears throat> passages that kind of speak to that. He says no male nor female. Seems like culturally, like, in our time, <laughs> one of those, like, what did Paul mean? But we're interpreting through our lens recently, right? But again, right, there's only one of two ways to describe yourself, maybe biologically. Again, the Jews wanted to say, like, we're the sons of Abraham, and then there's everyone else. You're just Gentiles. That term was just like, you're not, not one of us. And so Paul is erasing those things. There's, there's not even male or female. I mean, obviously it's true because he says, you know, male and female have different roles in the church and husbands and wives and things like that. So that's not what he's getting, getting with, right? But if you kind of want to describe yourself one way biologically, like, don't think of yourself as that. Think of yourself as in Christ, Right? That's how you should look at yourself and understand of yourself. And so, what are the implications of being one in Christ? In essence, like, that's all that matters, right? However you want to identify yourself, the way that we should identify ourselves primarily as being one in Christ. And he says, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, and you will receive the blessing and you are the heir of it based not on, what on you, not on what you do, but on the promises God made. So, then you kind of just step back. I just kind of want to like pull this kind of thread a little bit. Is then, so why do then do we like want to live by works? Like why, why do we fall, fall into that trap? We started kind of talking about that a little bit last week. Um, because if, if we are to be... Walking in the Spirit, then why do we try to do these things? And again, we talked about the Christian ways that we do these things of, you know, if we don't read our Bible or pray a certain amount of times or share the gospel with a certain amount of times or a certain amount of people or, you know, go to church, uh, 
a certain amount of times. You know, all of these things, like, we feel like maybe we are lesser than, right? And so why is that? And then, like, we feel like there's things that we need to be doing. I really need to be doing this. I really need to be doing this. I really need to be doing this. But Paul's saying, like, you don't need to be doing these things to at least to be justified. You don't need these things to be accepted by God. You don't need these things to inherit the new heavens and the new earth and everything that God has promised. So then why do we fall into this trap of like feeling like we need to do these things? Yeah. <clears throat> we do have to give an account, but what's that? There's safety in his law. Like if everybody, if the whole world did what he wants us to do, it would be perfect. Like everything would be wonderful. But we can't. We need somebody. But there is safety. And like it is a better way. And, and yeah, these things are all true. We can't measure our faith. Yeah. There's also a sense, too, just of obedience. All right, I want to obey, so what does that mean? I need a checklist. Well, yeah, and it's funny, my, my son and I were driving, you know, I don't know if it was either at, right after youth group or maybe like the next day or something, and he's like, we're talking about, you know, like not, especially like him not having a career yet or anything like that, but like, what should be your focus, and, you know, is it wrong to do certain things, and he's an athlete, so is it wrong to compete, and so I'm kind of, like, talking to him about this, but, I mean, if you just step back, like, you know, maybe kind of going back to what Tom was saying, is we could just kind of say, like, it's because we're fallen humans, but that's just, that is the, that is the way, the paradigm, like, we have been set up, right? In order to get food, what do we have to do? Work the ground, right? That's a result of the curse. I mean, like, some of these things I'm going to do is kind of like Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Is that, there, like, work is just something that's been established, right? Work was easy in the garden, but after sin, work became hard. And so, we live in a world where we have to work, right? We have to do things to provide for ourselves. So, work is just something throughout our entire life that we do. We wish that we could snap our fingers and our dishes would clean themselves, but you have to work, right, to do these things. Like, that's the world that we, you know, have been established in. We're also kind of wired to compete with one another. Just kind of even thinking about that idea in that conversation with my son. And that comes from the fall as well, right? What was, what was um, you know, the commandment that Eve was going to desire to what? 
rule over her husband. Now you can kind of read into that, but we all have a desire to like, you know, compete against one another. You know, some are more competitive than others, but that's part of who we are. Right or wrong, that's just how we're wired. But, you know, why are sports so, you know, widespread and make so much money is just because, like, that's how, that's the, that's the sinful world we have been birthed into. And so, you know, we could talk about whether that steals God's glory or not, but that's for another thing. The other thing, right, that's kind of, you know, is that laws help guide us, right? We've already talked about that. They, they are our ruler or our compass or our calculator or our, you know, aid to help us, you know, draw a straight line or map where we're at. And the laws help us morally to understand where we're at. And those are things that we do or don't do. And why did God give us a law? Because he knew of the world that we live in, that that's the way that we do things. And we also like routine and structure, right? How did Genesis 1, when we first started our study, what are things that God established that was established just for humans? I mean, not just humans, but for us to understand, but time, right? We live in a world of time, and sometimes we, like, just kind of forget about that. I mean, how could you forget about we live in a time? But that's our routine, right? We sleep at night, and if we don't, we're kind of out of sorts, right? You could say, well, that's how God made us to be, you know, not nocturnal, but whatever the other one is. Um, we work during the day. We have certain routines. We eat at certain times. We're, like, our, our day is patterned. We have seasons that we live you know, in our world. And so that just is a way that makes us feel comfortable. We've got to establish that way. The weird thing is, right, and we'll go, we'll talk about this when we get to Revelation, when, when in the new heavens and the earth, what is removed? We have this idea of eternity, but there is no day and night anymore. I mean, we'll talk about that, but that's kind of a bizarre thing, like, right? Because God is our light. And so, you know, we'll think about that a little bit more when we get to that. And so that is removed, but this is the world that we live in. So we live in a world that's based off of works. And so our spirituality, which is something different than our flesh, is easy for us to, you know, fall into that trap. But because also we live in that world, right, those things that help us, right, those disciplines are ways that we can, you know, establish and order our, you know, understanding of who God is. I wish just naturally, like, we, you know, just yeah, was like, I'm just going to pull, I'm on my way to work, I'm just going to pull over and read my Bible right now. But we're like, if I'm late to work, then this, that, you know, we know the consequences of all that. But, so we're in this world, so disciplines help us to order ourselves within this world. But that's not how God, you know, desires for it to be, but that's just how it is. And so that's why we fall into that trap. And I'm sure more can be said. And I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, I haven't thought of the implications of this. I haven't read about this. But these are just things that I've just kind of been thinking about, about how, like, why do we fall into this? So in summary, right, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? We understand that that living is, we'll have eternal life and live, you know, our salvation. But we need to live by faith day to day because we always get caught up in wanting to be performers and just understand that we don't need to perform, right, to be accepted by God. We just need to be, uh, just understand that God loves us and desire to know Him more and continue that relationship, however that looks, and help others know Him more as well. All right, hopefully that was helpful. Um, any thoughts, questions, concerns? I don't know, maybe I overstepped in some areas. Uh, complaints? 
Okay, I'll I'll, I'll, establish, a, I'll establish a box of thought of that. You know, yeah, come come to me, Dre.